So last week, we talked about the birth of Jesus. We have all, more than likely, have been to a Christmas Eve service, even if we've never gone to church before. Uh, Christmas Eve and Easter are one of the highest attended church services, right, uh, by non-Christians and Christians. And uh, so we talked about this, this, this time of where Jesus was born. Um, Mary was the mother of Jesus. Uh, Mary was a sinner, just like you and I. We talked about that a little bit. Um, although she did, she is special in the sense of she is the birth mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to see, even because of that role that she has, we're going to see in this text, that there's something unique about it. Okay, That she's going to experience something that you and I will never experience, but she, in a sense, is also no greater or no lesser than us. We're on the same level as we're all sinners, right? So that's where Catholicism has never gotten it right. And if you've been to a Catholic school or church, they have probably taught that Mary is, you know, one of the saints and that she is um, a perpetual virgin or, or well, I forget the word. She's, she's a virgin. She's always been a virgin and that she is also sinless. And, and that comes from trying to understand how Jesus was born sinless, right? They think, well, if Jesus was born sinless and he was perfect, well, then Mary must have been perfect, right? That's, that's the idea that, that they think. Well, if that's the case, then before Mary, her parents must have been perfect. And you keep going back until you get to, you know, David and Abraham, and then you realize, well, they weren't perfect, so how does that work, right? Well, we see that Jesus is the only human being in all of history, prior and going forward, he's the only one that has never had what? sin, but like, he's had, he has a mom, but he doesn't have an earthly father, right? Every single one of us in this room has an earthly mother and an earthly father. They may or may not be present. You may or may not know who they are, but I know for a hundred percent, I know for a fact that it was a man and a woman who got together, conceived, and you were born, right? I know that. With Jesus, it was completely different, right? We see that, that Gabriel came to Mary and said that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and then that's when she conceived and had Jesus. And so we see that Joseph is not the biological father. <laughs> I feel like I'm a Jerry Springer or something. <laughs> Joseph is not the biological father. There is no biological father. And the one thing that we see, and we see it in Romans, is that sin is imputed to us and is passed down to us through the male lineage. And so since Jesus did not have an earthly father, sin was not in him, right? Like, we don't have to teach sin. We are, we are born sinners. And we see that in Psalm, I think, 51, that we are just born into sin. That it's something that's just of our nature, and that's why we need the Redeemer and a Savior to save us from the sin that we're born into, right? That's just the consequences of our disobedience. When I say our, I say as, as humans, right? Our disobedience starting from Adam and Eve, and so it's been passed down onto us. So we discussed that last week, and this week we're going to look, look at the circumcision, we're going to look at Jesus in the temple, and we're going to look at one man named Simeon, or as some say Simon, um, as he is looking forward to and expecting Jesus to appear. And the first time that he sees his Lord and Savior is as a baby. It's pretty interesting, right? So let's read, verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. <coughs> One of the things that we saw prior to this was when John the Baptist was born, that his name wasn't given until the eighth day, 
and the eighth day is when they were circumcised. So on the eighth day, it's, it's like when the name becomes official. Obviously, they called him John prior to that. They, they knew they were going to call Jesus Jesus prior to the eighth day that after he was born. But it was a time where it became official at the circumcision. And circumcision was always done on the eighth day. Why is that? Medical purposes. And because God told him to, right? God told him to all the way back in the Old Testament when he first uh, instituted this, this covenant with them that they were to do it on the eighth day. And it's because on the eighth day, there was less, there was less blood flow, right? So it would be healthier, uh, cleaner. And um, so on the eighth day is when it was done. Nowadays, like when my son was born, I think he was circumcised the next day. And the reason behind that is just because there's been advancements in technology. I mean, here they were circumcising with rocks, right? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, hopefully they had something better than a rock. But... Uh, it's obviously a lot different than what it was 2,000, 4,000 years ago, right? So, uh, yeah, eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, and his name was called Jesus. So just as Gabriel instructed in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, to Mary to name the child Jesus. And why give him the name Jesus? Why couldn't she just choose any name? Well, Jesus means what? Anybody know? Yahweh is salvation, and it comes from the Hebrew name, anyone know? Come on, Wednesday night people. Joshua, right? We are in the book of Joshua currently, and Joshua, as we're reading his life, we see that he is a, he is not Jesus, but he is a picture and a symbol of Jesus. And as you understand that, and you read Joshua, and you read his life, you're like, whoa, this makes more sense, right? You, it comes to life. You understand it because you're looking at it from the perspective of he is the image and the picture of Jesus Christ. So the Hebrew name of Jesus is Joshua, and Jesus' name means Yahweh is salvation, right? Jesus came for the purpose of our salvation, right? And that's why we take communion. We look forward. We look back on what he's done because of the salvation we have received. So verse 22 now, when the days of her purification, speaking of Mary, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So one thing we see about Mary and Joseph is that even though they're young, remember how old is Mary at this point? I mean, I don't know the exact age, but she's, she's a teenager, right? So I'm talking to a bunch of teenagers. Joseph probably this, the same, maybe a little bit older. But here we see these two young people who are completely obedient. And I'm sure there was fear and anxiety and things that, and, and confusion, not really understanding everything that's happening. And we're going to see that as we see their reactions to things. But we see, even despite all those things, they are completely obedient to God. And that they know the word of God. And so here they do exactly what is told of them in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 2, verses 2 through 3 says this. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman is conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the, fle uh, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. So here we see kind of two different ceremonies happening at one time. We see the ceremony of circumcision and the ceremony of purification, right? And they were both necessary as a reminder that all of us are born into sin, Okay, all of us. Now, you may be thinking, well, wasn't Jesus sinless? 
Yes, he was. Just because he took part of the circumcision doesn't mean that he was a sinner. Jesus identifies with sinners. You understand me? There's a difference between being a sinner and identifying with sinners. And that is what Jesus is doing. He was not born into sin. He did not sin, but he identifies with us in the same way he got baptized, right? I mean, we're talking about God. Like, why does, well, he's identifying with us. And that's the type of God that we have, right? A God who is, doesn't just sit on his throne and look at us like we're peasants and may or may not care about us. No, he became one of us, right? That he himself was tempted just like us, but he never gave into that temptation. He was perfect, right? He, he understood all of our weaknesses. He understood all of our hurts. He understood pain, right? When, I mean, I think about uh, when he was in the wilderness for 40 days and he fasted, right? He understood what it meant to hunger, right? He understood what it meant to be poor. He was born into a poor family, right? He understood what it, how it was to be tempted, right? I mean, he was tempted by Satan far greater than you and I will ever be tempted by Satan, yet he did not stumble or fall. Uh, I think about the pain that he went through. Like Jesus, even though he was God, he still was human. And so when he went through the sacrifice, when he went on the cross, it's not like he just flipped on a switch and said, I don't feel pain anymore, right? He was human, so he felt the pain, right? He felt the pain, so he can relate to us. We have a high priest. The Bible tells us we have a high priest that can relate to us in all our ways, right? No other God, and there is no other God, but no other God, no other religion, and there is no other religion because there's only one, it's Jesus Christ, can say that, right? Jesus is the one true God who can relate to all of us. And so he was not born a sinner, but he identified with sinners, so he participated in this. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So he says, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy. That literally just means a firstborn son. Okay, any, do you have any firstborn sons here? Couple, yeah. Any firstborn son shall be called holy to the Lord. And we get this from Exodus, Exodus chapter 13, verse 2, where God says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. The firstborn child had a special place in God's heart. Now, he says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn in Exodus 13, 2. Now, how was the firstborn consecrated after the first Passover? And if you remember, when God uh, took the Israelites out of Egypt and he, he had the ten plagues, what was the tenth plague? Yeah, all the firstborn males would die. Unless what? Yeah, unless, unless they put the blood and the angel of the Lord would pass over that. So, God has w- w- redeemed the firstborn if there was the sacrifice of this lamb and the, and the blood is what redeemed them. It wasn't the act. It was the actual blood on the post. Now, the price in Numbers chapter 18, verse 16, there was a price to redeem your newborn son, uh, and it was actually five shekels. Okay, there was five shekels. Um, and Joseph and Mary, 
in their case, would also have to, in a sense, buy back their firstborn son from God for the price of five shekels. But Jesus would one day buy us back for a little more. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So one of the things we see here at the end of verse 24 is that they paid the price with a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, typically, what Leviticus 12 commands them at the birth of a son is that a lamb should be offered, right? A lamb should be offered as part of the purification uh, ceremony. Yet, if you were poor, you could not afford a lamb, right? So instead of a lamb, they said, okay, well, here's the poor man's offering. They can bring, what is it? What do you think? A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And what did Mary and Joseph bring? The poor man's offering, right? It's what they could afford. That's, that's all they had. And so see, again, we see the relatability that Jesus has. He wasn't born, you know, in the temple or in the kingdom. He was born in a manger and to a family that was poor and did not have much. So again, just as a quick review in Leviticus 12, uh, one of the ceremonies that we're looking at here is the purification ceremony of the mother following the birth of a child. The mother was considered unclean at the birth of a child. So anytime there was like, I'm trying to be weird, uh, bodily fluids, blood, anything else, you were considered unclean, like if, if bodily fluids were, were coming out. Um, so the mother was considered unclean following the birth of a child or the birth of a son. And 80, for 40 days, they were unclean. And 80 days following the birth of a daughter. And during that time, they were considered unclean, so they couldn't touch, you know, they couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't touch, you know, these holy objects. Again, it's, it's just a, uh, and it's not considered so now. So, like, if you have a child in someday, ladies, you're not considered unclean unless, like, you're unclean, right? But not in a, a holy or spiritual perspective. And so the understanding is that we are born as sinners, okay? We are born as sinners. And the only thing that can make us clean from sin is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's look at verses 25 through 35. We'll try to wrap up. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. I love when we get to, like, these random characters in the, in the Bible, sometimes that we just overlook. Maybe they're just mentioned once, or they're just, like, one verse or a couple verses. So here we get Simeon, right, a guy that we have not heard of, a guy that we don't know his upbringing. We don't know what he's been doing. I mean, in a sense we do because we're going to see it. But we just get these few verses on who this guy is. Now, there's two special things that we see instantly about this guy, right? Two things. One is that he is just or righteous and devout, right? This is who this man is, Simeon. Simeon was a just and devout man, what does it mean to be just? What does it mean to be righteous? How would you be considered, would you be considered as a just or righteous man or woman? To be righteous, and just a simple definition of it, is righteousness is what is right in the eyes of God. It's just a simple definition that you can remember. Righteousness is what is right in the eyes of God. 
It means that his behavior, Simeon's behavior, in the sight of God and towards others was in, in accordance with God's standards and what God expects and calls us to do and be as Christians. And it's something that we're going to see that we cannot do of our own accord and our own power. Like, you cannot just be righteous because you want to be righteous, right? Like, you can't just be, wake up one day and be like, I'm going I'm to be righteous today. I'm going to do righteous things. I'm going to be just today, right? No, that's, that's not how it works. Now, I think part of it is, is your dedication to wanting to do it. But a huge component that, you, that cannot be missed, and what we're going to see in this text, is the power and the use of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot do righteous things. You cannot walk in the righteousness of God. So he was considered righteous or just, and he was also considered devout. He was a devout man. Devout means careful in handling, or careful in handling of divine things, or uh, revering God. It describes the person who's very careful to do all that would please God. Sounds like the complete opposite of the world and the culture that we live in today. You know, are we mindful of the things that we do? Every, every single thing, whether big or little, is it pleasing to God? And how do I know if it's pleasing to God? Well, I mean, the Bible tells us the things that we should do and shouldn't do, right? I, can, look, I cannot stand up here and tell you what you should or shouldn't do. You won't listen to me, nor should you right? Your parents, in a sense, cannot tell you what to do and what not to do. You, you won't listen to them truly, and sometimes you will, but the only thing that will really change, like the only thing that will really change you, like I could sit up here and tell you, hey, you probably shouldn't be watching rated R movies, right? You won't listen to me. Who cares? Your parents will tell you that, who, but you won't listen. Who cares? And even if you did it, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't do it because you, you saw it as the right thing to do, so how does that change? How does, a, how does a person change from, okay, you know, I've always watched rated R movies or whatever. I'm just using a dumb example. And now I feel the conviction of not watching rated R movies. Well, it's not any man or woman telling you to do it or not do it, right? It is only through the inspired word of God and his Holy Spirit that will convict you and change your mind about it and change your heart and your, your stance on it. And that goes with everything. I could stand in front of your house and yell things at you all day, but you're not going to care. I could sit up here and tell you what to do and not do, but none of that matters unless you allow what the word says to change. How you see things, how you feel things, how you do things. So he was a devout man, but he was careful to do all that would please God. And that happened through, one, having the Holy Spirit, and two, knowing what, what God wanted him to do and expected of him to do as a follower of Jesus, right? Now, understand, obviously, there's grace. I'm, I'm, I want to find a fine balance of this. Like, there's grace. So it's not like, you know, Christianity's a religion. It's a set of rules. But there is rules, in a sense, right? There is expectations, we're not to just be born again and then because we have the grace of God and salvation that we have the freedom to do whatever we want, right? No, I'm born again and I have the grace of God and now I have the freedom to obey God, right? I, I have the ability now to do what God 
has called me and expected me to do. I am now a new creation. I, I no longer want to do or do the things that I used to do. So Simeon, again, he's considered a just and devout man. And what is he doing? Verse 25 says at the end, waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does consolation mean? You guys ever heard of like a consolation prize? Right? Those are for the kids that like aren't really good at anything. And they're like, oh, hey, you didn't win, but here's the consolation prize, right? Participation is uh, a little bit different, right? So consolation just sounds like a fancy word. It's not. It literally just means to comfort, right? So, hey, I know you didn't win the game today, but here's a consolation prize. Make you feel a little bit better, right? So here's Simeon that I, I could only assume for the entirety of his life or a majority of his life that he has been waiting, how many of you guys like to wait, just in general? None of us, right? None of us like to wait, no matter what it is. Uh, if you're waiting uh, in traffic, if you're waiting for uh, your test results, you know, at school, if you're waiting to see if you made the team, uh, whatever it is, waiting is just hard. Like, we, it goes against our very nature as human beings. We don't like to wait. But God always challenges us to wait. And so here's this one guy who is waiting. He is waiting. And what we're going to see is that while he's waiting, he cannot die. It's pretty awesome, right? Let's read it really quick, and I'll come back to it. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he is waiting to see the Messiah. He's waiting to see the Savior. And he knows that it's been reassured to him by the Holy Spirit. I don't know how it was done, but he knows that he cannot die until... He sees Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Like, I wonder if he did some crazy stuff to see if it even was true. Like, he just jumped off a building, and he's like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't die. It's, it's true. And if he did die, then, well, he's dead. But, so we see again that he is waiting for what? The consolation of Israel. The comforter of Israel. The comforter of Israel. Now, who... One of, or not who, but one of the, the attributes of the Holy Spirit, uh, one of the things that is described of him, one of the names given to him is a helper, right, or a comforter. One of the things described of God, I believe in first or second, I think it's second Corinthians, that God is the God of all comfort. So God is a God of comfort, and not the type of comfort of like you're sitting on a lazy boy and you're comfortable, right? It's the type of comfort where I'm, I'm in pain, I'm hurt, and God provides comfort, right? Because he cares and he loves. And so here he's considered the consolation or the comfort of Israel. And you got to think of Israel's, you know, a nation who is, has been oppressed, a nation who is now under the, the rule of the Romans, who see the nation as just a bunch of uh, sinners and complainers. And also now they are, you know, trying to uh, earn their righteousness. They're trying to earn their salvation, uh, they're trying to earn their justification by the works that they display. So they are in need of a comforter. They are in need of a savior. And that is who Jesus is. And so Simeon, literally, the only thing he's doing is he's waiting for Jesus to appear. He's waiting for the savior. So it says, and I love that. I love that he's, like, that's, like, that's the only thing he's been doing is waiting. The, I mean, I guess, let's look at it this way. 
he's waiting, but he knows he can't die. So that's pretty awesome, right? But he's looking forward to seeing Jesus. And he knows once he sees Jesus, he's probably like, and he's going to say, well, like, I'm, I'm good to go now, right? Like, now, now I can die. He has this hope and this expectation to see Jesus. And, and that's a question for you and I is, do we have that same expectation and hope? Because, listen, Jesus is the only hope in a dying and hopeless world. And we have to wait and expect for him to come and for him to appear. Remember, like I said, Jesus is coming soon. I mean, that's our whole theme, and not because our theme is going to make Jesus come quicker, but it's what the word tells us, that Jesus is coming soon. So our theme for the retreat is the king is coming. He is. And I know you're young. We got all the way from, you know, 12 to 18, 19 to 50, right? It, it does not—I didn't look at you. It, it does not matter your age, but for some reason when we're younger, we think we have our whole world— and our whole life ahead of us. And life comes at you fast. It does. Whether that's life just goes by quickly, or things happen in your life where your life has a, a lower uh, expectation of, of living. Um, but it's quick, and it comes. And you are in need of a Savior, whether you are 10 or whether you are 50. You need him, and he's coming back. And so there's, again, we should be living with this, this expectant hope of his return, waiting on God to fulfill his promises, because he's always fulfilled every promise that he has ever made. And we even see this with him doing it right here. So the end of verse 25, it says, about Simeon, not only was he a just and devout man, but again, the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit. We've seen this multiple times with multiple people already as we've gone through two chapters. We see it with John the Baptist, Mary, Elizabeth, Zacharias, and now we see it with Simeon who was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, interesting thing, okay? So again, don't miss this aspect of the Holy Spirit. Three times in three verses, verse 25, 26, and 27, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. It says the Holy Spirit was upon him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, and he came by the Spirit into the temple. You cannot live the Christian life without the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now you're like, okay, well, how do I, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and convicts you, first of all, before you're even born again, right? So the Holy Spirit knocks on your heart, convicts you, and shows you, okay, well, I need a Savior, right? The Holy, that's, one of the part of the, that's one of the jobs that the Holy Spirit has for everyone in the entire world. But the second part and the second job of the Holy Spirit is once you are born again, you receive the Spirit of God so that we can understand the things of God, so that we can walk in the Spirit of God, that we... We cannot walk in our own flesh. You guys know, when you walk in your own flesh, you do dumb and stupid stuff. And that's because we give in to the flesh. And just because you do dumb and stupid stuff after you're born again does not mean that the Holy Spirit has left you. It just means that you have neglected the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot leave you. You cannot lose the Holy Spirit if you've had the Holy Spirit. 
I don't care what anybody ever says. You cannot leak the Holy Spirit, as some people say, right? Well, you're just a cup, and, and you're leaking, and, and, you know, that's not how it works. You have suppressed and you have ignored the Holy Spirit that is living in you. And so how do we walk by the Spirit, guys? Well, we simply continue to abide in his word. We, we continue to gain a relationship with Jesus. And uh, listen, I think we always want a simple answer. We want a formula. I couldn't put it any simpler than just read the word of God and obey it. Not every answer that you have to every qua- crazy question that you have is going to be answered. That's part of why we, l- we walk by faith, okay? But a lot of the answers and a lot of the promises are found in his word. And our relationship is grown by being in the word, by praying. And s- so, and also, we get the promise that if we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh which is a great promise, because once we fulfill the lust of the flesh, it feels good, but it sucks afterwards, and it leads to a whole bunch of consequences, whether it's physical, mental, spiritual, whether it's you or maybe somebody else. (laughs) There's never any good consequences. They're always bad. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So verse 28, and he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, so probably like, you know, Simba took Mufasa, or not, what is it? I don't even know. I haven't seen Lion King forever. Mufasa. Rafiki. That's his name. Oh, my gosh. Took the little lion and held him up, and he blessed God. No, it actually means that he, like, held him like a real baby. But uh, he, he took Jesus in his arms. Now, again, imagine this. This guy's been waiting. The Holy Spirit has told him that you are to wait for the appearance of the Savior of not just Israel, but everyone, and the first time he sees them is as a baby. <laughs> like, this is, like, imagine, like, I mean, pretty much all babies are cute, most of them. I'm sure, I'm sure that Jesus is probably a cute baby, and he's holding them, and he's realizing that this is the Savior. This is God in baby form, <laughs> right? This is God in baby form. He takes him in his arms. He blesses him. He says this in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. All right, so here's that proclamation of, okay, now I can go. My time, my time is done, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's looking at this baby, and he realizes that this baby is salvation. Jesus, remember, his name means Yahweh is salvation. Jesus is salvation. Nothing else can save you. Nothing else, but only Jesus. And here he is as a baby, and he realizes as he looks at it, his eyes perceive it for the first time, and he realizes that Jesus is salvation, which you, in verse 31, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. The salvation of Jesus has been prepared beforehand, even before the foundation of the world. And we even see it in action, the beginning in in Genesis chapter 3, once man committed its first sin, right? That the expectation that the Messiah would come and redeem his people, he knew we would fail, yet still loved us, and yet still came to redeem us. (coughs) He says, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. And I love that the salvation of Jesus is not just for the Israelites. It's for who? It's not just for God's chosen people. 
It's for everyone. It's for the Gentiles. It's for you and I alike. He is prepared before the face of all peoples. His salvation is for everyone. We see that in John 3.16, right? In John 3.17. In verse 32, he goes on to say, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So again, Jesus would come not only just to save the Jews and the, the Israelites, but the Gentiles. Isaiah wrote this of the Messiah in, in Isaiah 42.6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and I will give you a covenant to the people as a light to the Gentiles. And Simeon ends it with, and the glory of your people Israel. Even though Jesus was rejected by his own, he was still the glory of his people. Let's end it here, verse 33 through 35. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. So again, they didn't fully understand everything, right? They, they just went in obedience and faith. And so as they're hearing these things come, they're just like, wow, like that's, I cannot believe that. They marveled. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. We know that, that Jesus is the fall and the rising of many people there is nothing more controversial in anything in the world. Regardless of what 2020 presented, there's nothing more controversial than Jesus Christ. He is the rise and the fall of everyone. just depends what side you're on. We see in 1 Peter chapter 2, I won't read it, but you can look at it in your own time, that he is the chief cornerstone, that some will be made to stumble and some will be disobedient. It says, Behold, the child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many, many hearts may be revealed. And we see here that Simeon tells Mary, because you are the mother, the savior of the world, even though that you are the mother of Jesus, even though it has a great privilege, it also has a great burden. And that you will, as he says specifically, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Even though she was the mother of Jesus, Jesus needed to be her savior. But that also does not neglect the fact that she was a mother. She gave birth to a baby, raised it, and had to see him. Had to see him crucified. Had to see him, uh, people uh, rejected him. And so she's seeing Jesus not only as we see him, right, as a savior, but she's seeing him as her son. Imagine that. She had to be there for the crucifixion of her own son. And so imagine what that felt like. And now we see Simeon specifically says, it'll feel like a sword will pierce through your own soul. <coughs> Let's stop there. So, Father, we thank you for just this time. Lord, as we study through your word. <coughs> I just thank you for the comfort that we do receive from our, our Savior, Jesus. I pray if there's anyone in here in need of him, Lord, that they would cry out to him, that they'd reach out to him. Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers, whether they're spoken or not. We just thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.